Welcome to the Catapulting Commission's podcast. This is the place where we discuss how to maximize performance and improve retention with today's modern sales force. Every conversation on the show has one goal in mind, and that is to catapult your commission. I'm your host, Anthony Garcia, international best-selling author, motivational speaker, and a lifelong sales enthusiast. Be sure to join me every week as we interview sales leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world. We will discuss best practices and ensure that you leave motivated and inspired to take action. Now, let's enjoy today's episode. Catapulted Commissions family, what's up team? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Catapulted Commissions podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Garcia. Look, Catapulting Commissions family, we have talked sales, sales leadership over the past year and a half. Now, let me tell you something about leadership. Great leaders are built from the inside out. The savage leader, which is what we're going to talk about today, is your blueprint to become a great leader. The 13 savage principles focus on anchoring to your values, becoming authentic, forging bonds with your team, and overcoming doubt with so much more. Our guest is Darren Renke. He is the founder of Group 60, an executive coaching and training firm based in San Diego to bring purpose to life to transform leaders, their teams, and their organizations. Group 60 works with leaders and teams at Fortune 500s, mid-market companies, fast-growing startups, and visionary nonprofits. Darren started his career at Accenture and also spent time at successful companies such as Gap, Neutrogena, and ProFlowers prior to launching Group 60. Darren is the author, as I said, of The Savage Leader, 13 Principles to Become a Better Leader from the Inside Out. This book is about the inner journey we go on to have your, uh, go on as leaders to become great. Darren, welcome to the Catapulting Commission's podcast. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. So The Savage Leader, 13 Principles to Become a Better Leader from the Inside Out. Let's just jump right into this. Is sales leadership or just leadership in general is that something that we're born with is that something that we learn how me understand that because there's a thing that people say is a natural born leader but i don't know if that's always an accurate uh description of leadership i think it's a combination of both to be honest and i'm very positive in terms of just the way i think about the world you know gallup had a study years back that said i think 10 percent of people have the ability to be a manager Although leadership, I think, is a bit beyond that and transcendent, but I think it's a combination of the two things. So I think there's definitely natural traits that we're born with, but I think so much of it is learned through experiences, through putting ourselves into uncomfortable situations so that we can grow over time. So sure, are people more natural at it than others? Absolutely. But I think that we all have an ability to, to grow and to become better. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think I think one of the frustrating things as as a sales leader myself is when you see leadership potential and someone doesn't want to invest in it. They don't want to educate themselves on how to expand that leadership. So you have a book, The Savage Leader, 13 Principles to Become a Better Leader from the Inside Out. Help me understand, how did this book come to life? What's the premise? Where, where, where are we coming from the inside out? A great question. So to me, I believe there's a, a parallel journey, an inner journey that we go on as leaders to become great because I think so much time is invested. There's so many books, so many courses, so many talks that really focus on the externally visible behaviors around becoming a better decision maker or being able to project vision, so many of those behaviors. But to me, 
and this is really something I've learned in my own life and, and the work that I do with a lot of clients is that there's this inner journey. It's around how do you get a sense for what's most important to you? So what are your values? How do you connect more to them? How can you be values driven, but also how do you become more authentic? How do you communicate and connect with people in a very authentic way? And obviously I'm going through some of the key principles because those are so important to this, but I believe that it really starts from the inside. And something I also believe is that I think we all have a, an opportunity to become great, but greatness is something that we define individually. Absolutely. You ask someone like Steph Curry, you know, what it means to be great 10 years ago, maybe he said to be the best shooter of all time. I think, I think you could argue he is the best shooter of all time. Maybe now he'd say to be the best scorer of all time, but you ask a Silicon Valley entrepreneur, you ask a sales leader, you ask even a teacher or a parent, and they're going to have very definition, different definitions of what it means to be great. So I believe that to become great, to become a leader, you need to have this first shift of this burning desire to be great, which is something you touched on earlier, which is, hey, how come these people just can't get there? Because I think it starts with, you have to have that burning desire to be great. And as I mentioned, there's very different definitions of that. But the second thing is you have to be willing to be introspective because without looking inside, without understanding what's most important to you, to your values, looking at and accepting feedback, I think we can't get better. And then really the third piece, which is how do you activate that, that desire to be great, that introspection, which is you have to be willing to put in the work. You have to take action because that's how you activate all those things. But that's really more of the premise to the book. But in terms of why I wrote the book, it was a couple of things. So one was that I, it was really a personal challenge to myself and a friend of mine, a mentor of mine, five years ago or so, she said during a conversation, Darren, it's not like you're going to write a book. And in my mind, I had this nagging self-limiting belief that I wasn't an author. I was bad at English because I had some grades that weren't as high as my other grades during college. But what that really meant in reflection is that you know, I wasn't the best at analyzing what Kafka meant in the metamorphosis or any of these literature pieces. But over time, I really tried to detach from that self-limiting belief about becoming a writer because it really had no connection to that. And there was really no data that said that. So it was part personal challenge. The second thing is I realized there's so much work I've been doing, what I've been coaching people around, leading training sessions, just things I was reading, thinking about, writing about. And I thought, hey, a book would be a really interesting way to, to package it all in a neat form that people could consume at an easy price point to get a sense for the thoughts, the things that I've learned. Because so much of what I want to do is I want to impart the lessons that I've learned in my life to clients and even people that never work with me, but hopefully will read the book or listen to the podcast. So that's a couple of the reasons, uh, just a, a challenge, but also just something that I thought was a neat way to put all of the things I was thinking about in an easy package. You know, one, congratulations on bringing the book to life. I know as an author and bringing books to life, you know, there's a, it's a journey that I don't think people fully embrace until they've done it themselves. Cause there's, there's everything you, we teach, but then there's all the self doubt. Like, is this perfect? Is this not perfect? And so I, I know that journey you've gone through. So congratulations for that. One of the things I want to unpeel here is the premise of the book. And I'm looking at my notes as wrote down. Okay. The desire to be great and the ability to look inside yourself right now in leadership, I would say that there's leaders of companies that are experiencing the most challenging time ever. Like I, 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 I saw your, your education background. I, I know that when I went through graduate pro programs, there was no training on how to be a leader during a global pandemic. There was like case studies of what has happened, 
But right now, leadership is faced with some challenging tasks. The desire to be great right now with the tribe of salespeople that are out there, I don't know if it's at an all-time high. There's a lot of reasons people are frustrated right now. Business isn't happening the way it used to happen. So COVID may have changed people's business model. Compensation models may not be the way they used to be. How do we as leaders drive and connect with our team to have that desire to be great? Is that something we can teach? How do we get that out of our people? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I think it's, it's like everything, especially in leadership, there's so much nuance to it. And you have to look at people from an individual basis through different lenses. So understanding what motivates them. And that's where a lot of the values conversation comes from. And what I was talking about more is individual values, your personal values, but also it's like, what matters most to the, to your audience, to looking at each and every one of your sales team members, because we're different. We have different experiences. We have different backgrounds. We have different strengths. We have different things that motivate us. And a lot of the work that I do with clients is around how do you adapt your communication to the individual? But the same thing goes from a motivational perspective as well, is connecting to what matters most to them. So, you know, maybe they're motivated by money, right? Maybe they're motivated by their compensation and challenging them that way about how, trying to achieve a level of comp that they never achieved before. Maybe they're motivated from more through a customer centricity lens. Hey, let's motivate you by, hey, let's, let's level up our game here so we can actually deliver more for our customers or for our clients. You know, maybe it's something that there's more about the mission of the firm. Maybe you're, you're creating a product or a service that really helps people in a really meaningful and fundamental way and tapping into that sense of purpose because those are three very different things compensation, um, customer centricity, and then purpose. And I think to do that, to, to drive them to become great, you have to look at it through a very nuanced and individualistic lens. Mm. You know, you, you looking at them individually, there's always this cookie cutter approach that sometimes comes across, right? We get into the position of leadership. I'm managing a team. I have a hundred people, you know, I have different layers of leadership, whether it's middle management, and there's a cookie cutter approach to leadership. And as I'm hearing you saying it, we get into the individual's true core of what motivates and drives that person. In, in having that approach with, with truly trying to understand and identify your team, how do you do that at scale? Because you, we, I, I'm looking at it from, from my perspective. Let's just look at an example. If I have 100 sales employees on my team, that approach, I might struggle with a little bit. Help me understand, how can I use, take that individualistic approach at scale? That's a great question. And I can imagine as I was saying that in terms of individualizing work is that people are probably frustrated. Like I don't have any extra time. Like I, I don't have time to slow down. And people's natural style is to behave in a way that, you know, they like to behave. They prefer to be communicated with, but that's a really a fundamental mistake. So it is a little bit of it. It does take more effort. It does take more time. And a lot of times I have to really ingrain that in the folks that I work with. But in terms of how you do it at scale, so hopefully it's not a one to a hundred reporting relationship. You know, hopefully you'd have say 10 people in between the two of you. And a manager is a word I, I try to avoid because I think it it leans more towards command and control, managing resources, checklists, et cetera. But hopefully you can empower those, let's just call them 10 other people that report to you that manage those hundred sales folks to how can they be that coach to their team members? How can they adapt their style to be more nuanced in their approach, how to individualize that to those people. But yeah, it takes, 
takes extra time, but I believe that you invest in your people, you're going to get that return many times back. You may take an extra 10 minutes or 15 minutes to help someone to coach them, but you're going to see increased performance, increased autonomy. They're going to be empowered and inspired, and they're going to drive to better performance, which is going to help you if you're that 10, you know, middle, middle, middle level manager person, or as you as the leader of a hundred people. Mm, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the, the, you know, 10 to one, let's just say that's probably a fair number. I like how you do it address the, not a management or, you know, a teammate leader. I, I tell people that I lead, Hey man, we're, I'm not, I'm not a manager or a boss. We're on the same team, just have different roles, but I love the empowerment approach of empower the 10 and it trickles down. You know, is if we're taking this individualistic approach and we're doing it, do you have a set criteria of how you identify what's important to somebody? I mean, I know one of the concepts in the book in, in the book is is creating these unbreakable bonds with your tribe, right? You want this loyalty to people. And we take this individualistic approach. Let's peel the onion back a little further on it. Like what exactly are you looking for when you're building that bond? Let's say I am a leader of a 10 person team and now I have that time to spend time with Susan and Jerry and, and Bob every week. And we're, we're having these zoom calls or whatever it is. How do I take that, that bond and go a layer deeper? Now I've gotten given you my time, but I want to peel some onions back on that relationship. Where do you recommend or advise we go to, to get that bond at a deeper level? There's a couple of things you can do and some easy tactics. I think assessments are really great because they give you an objective lens to look through. So I refer to motives and strengths. And there's an assessment that I, that we use with all clients called the strengths deployment inventory. And that's a great tool because it just quickly, you know, a 30 minute assessment, understand what really motivates that person. Are they driven by people or process or performance? There's other motive profiles as well, but then also the strengths, what strengths do they use to get work done and how do they use those to communicate? So that's like an easy one, a quick win. Uh, you know, Clifton Strengths is another great tool as well in terms of understanding people's natural talents and strengths. But um, also I think it's, it's the way you show up for your team and that may, you know, frustrate people as well in terms of having a conversation that's really about the other person. It's just holding back and driving your agenda. Of course, you have an agenda, but in terms of having these one-on-one -on -one check ins or coaching conversations, assuming people are doing those every week, which I highly recommend, but maybe every two weeks is more realistic. I've worked with a lot of sales leaders who just flat out don't have the time because they have a number they have to hit in some cases, not not just uh, through their people, but directly as well. But using these check-ins or these coaching conversations and getting a sense for what they want to achieve, what are some of their growth goals, what do they need to achieve those growth goals, what are some of the gaps, you know, like, what is it, you know, so-and-so Susie or John or Bob, like, what's getting in your way, you know, if you want it to become better at outbound lead development or lead generation, whatever that may be, what, what's getting in your way? Is it some sort of self-loaning belief that you don't have value commensurate with the fees that you're asking for, for the product or service? And having those conversations are around that and so that you can start to solve some of those things and, and asking great questions that help peel back the onion, as you mentioned. So that's that's one thing for sure. But I think also asking about what are their goals and aspirations? You know, not just within a certain role, but really beyond that. You know, what do they want out of their life and their career? Or maybe it's career and then life, because people are going to grow, especially as you mentioned. Uh, during this incredibly challenging time, companies are forced to grow. They're forced to evolve. There's a competition disruption coming left, right, and sideways. And that growth is, an, is absolutely an imperative. Change is going to happen. You have to grow and evolve to get better. So it's 
understanding what people want to do and what their goals and objectives are and what they want to achieve and how you can help them, how you can serve them truly in terms of whether it's through coaching, whether it's providing resources, whether that's people, whether that's training, whether that's tools to help them really advance and grow because we're going to, we know we have to grow and evolve for our companies to grow and evolve and survive, frankly. You know, I, I agree with you. And I think as you peel that, I love the assessments and, and I'm, I've not heard of Cliff, was it Clifton Strengths you mentioned? Yeah, it used to be called StrengthsFinder. They rebranded okay. it. All right, then I then I have heard of it. I'm like, maybe I I'm, thought I was pretty well-versed the majority of the assessments. Okay. Um, all right, so you, you use an assessment. You try to identify strengths and weaknesses for your team, which I think, or your individuals on your team, which I think helps my leadership, right? It helps us how we're going to manage them, but it helps identify them, their future track. I, I love the goals and assessments for career and life or life and career. Um, I think too many times, in sales leadership and in, in sales management, we get so set on the corporate mission, right? Corporate mission. We want to grow and be the most profitable B2B company. We want to be the fastest growing software company in 2021 or whatever. And so we're so focused on that, that sometimes we forget the people who are working for us. This is, is a vehicle, right? This is a vehicle for us to be a leader to them and say, Hey, let me get, let me show you how you can use this vehicle to get what you want out of life. So, you know, as you have these conversations, I, I imagine sometimes you pull up some layers of discomfort, things that people aren't comfortable with. I know for me, uh, and, you know, I, I have a, a coach and mentor and when he points out areas that I'm not perfect in or areas that I, I need to improve, it's an uncomfortable conversation sometimes for someone to say, hey, you know, you've you've dropped the ball here. And when I've shared this with the audience, you know, I've had people, I, I, I don't understand that you, you run the, you run the podcast, you, you manage sales, you do this, but I have somebody who challenges me and I, I have to have those uncomfortable conversations sometimes. How do we take some of those uncomfortable conversations and grow either a, as a leader or B help my team or the people who I'm coaching or mentoring grow? Do you find, or do you have a, a method of saying, okay, here's the areas I suck in. How can I use this to grow? That's a, a complex one for sure. And I think just to even have those conversations, you have to have a high level of trust. So I'm sure with your coach, with your mentor, you build that trust. So it really all starts there because otherwise someone's not going to be open to feedback or criticism. I, I tend to be more of the positive psychology of, Hey, let's not focus on weekend weaknesses. Let's focus on how do we amplify our strengths. So, but that said, in terms of areas of growth, it's, it's how do you connect that to your to your goals, right? I mean, it's like, hey, if there's some, something I need to work on, I want to mm -hmm. work on becoming a better communicator. I want to learn how I can really connect and develop rapport with my clients, with my customers. And having the coach is almost like a mirror, right? I mean, they can shine that mirror up to you and they can they can point to some of the things when you've fallen short, but they're really there to, to cheer you on and to help you. Of course, there's the accountability piece, right? Like as a coach, you want to set expectations, you want to coach them along, and then you want to hold them accountable. Of course, it's not just rah, rah all the time. You need to obviously draw a line and say, hey, you know, here's, here's an area where um, we really need to work on. But I think how you frame that is really important. And that gets back to understanding what someone's preferred motives and community communication style is so you can communicate in a way that really connects with them. You know, if they're really analytical, let's understanding, let's look at the process for how you can become better in terms of developing rapport and relationships with your clients. If it's about, you know, performance, maybe it's they're performance driven. It's like, Hey, how do you think better rapport is going to actually really move the needle? How you can actually get greater share of wallet from this client or for this customer, you know, how we can actually blow our quota out of the water for this quarter and for this year. So it's like really getting back to 
that preferred way of communicating. And as we mentioned before, it's, it definitely takes a lot of effort and work, but I, I can guarantee you that you're going to get such a big payoff for doing that and investing in your team members. Hey, I wanted to take a quick minute and interrupt this episode. I hope you're enjoying what you have heard thus far. Have you heard the good news? The international best-selling book, Catapulting Commissions, has been named a 2021 Selling Power Magazine book recommendation. And I want to thank you, the Catapulting Commissions family. You can claim a free copy by texting hello to 661-228-8967. You can also find out more information at catapultingcommissions.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. I love that. I think, you know, as you, as you piggyback that back to what's important to the individual, right? I, I think every person, and I'm speaking to the sales team right now, right? Every salesperson has WeFM on all the time. What's in it for me? And if I, and if my leader can spin it back to what's in it for me, I, I love how you said that you, you spin it back to them. And, and as you're saying that, I can't help think of a personal story. Uh, you know, as, as this show, the, the day this show airs that same weekend, my daughter is competing in a um, regional black belt Taekwondo tournament. She's been training all summer long. She, she wins, she qualifies for nationals. She has dreams for 2028 Olympics. Fun fact, if you, you know, kind of holding this family, if you have a daughter that says she wants to do a combat sport, get mom's permission first. Cause if she gets excited afterwards, it's always makes for a fun conversation of why my 12 year old has a black eye, but she recently had a challenging area where she showed up to her training session not motivated, didn't want to compete, was just out of it. And we're, we're a week and a half away from competition. And her instructor pulled her at the end, had a heart to heart with her, got in the car with her. And I literally said, you told me when you wanted to compete at this level of competition with girls that were older with you, with girls that kick hard, you told me you wanted to win first place. You wanted to be incredibly talented in this sport and you wanted to excel the work you performed this morning says otherwise. And I looked at that conversation with her and I'm like, man, I need to have that conversation with my employees sometimes. You told me you wanted to make a quarter million dollars every year and you wanted to have money saved for kids' college tuition. The work you had, the work you've put out this month suggests otherwise. So I love how you spin that back. Yeah, I love so, the, the WIFM, W-I-F-M. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, WIFM is always so important. It's just like bringing it back to the individual because that's really how you can motivate people. Yeah, I, I agree. And and I know I, you know, I've had I have I've had guests on who've been sales compensation consultants for large executive companies and, and they sit and they advise people on creating a compensation plans for salespeople. And it's always we FM. But I look at it from the aspect it's we FM everything. Compensation, time, benefits. Why am I doing this report? What's in it for me? And so we, you know, if we can spin everything back, I, I love how you approach that, uh, you know, making it back for your team. So Darren, let, let's talk about a different type of leader. There's somebody listening to this show right now that is going to transition to be a new leader. Matter of fact, they're going to go from being a individual contributor to a team leader, but now they're going to be a team leader of their former peers. And I know that when I when I've come across this and, and I experienced it myself where I went from you're my peer to now I'm your team leader or your boss or quote unquote, there's a there's a there's a struggle there. How does someone become more confident in that role as they make that transition? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And frankly, that's just a, a huge transition for most people because it's 
it's I'm not getting compensated. I'm not getting evaluated and reviewed based on my own performance, but now I have to get work done with and through other people. And that's a huge shift for most people. And a lot of people aren't necessarily equipped for that. And that gets back to your question, are the leaders made or are they born? And I think that it's more challenging for some people, but you got to earn it with those people because I'm actually working with a few folks that actually are in that exact situation where they were elevated above their peers. And there's some, you know, maybe some animosity around, um, you know, why they get promoted and not me, which is, which is really hard. Right. But I think the most important thing too, is just to show up and don't just be, don't just assume because your title says you're their boss or your supervisor, which I really despise that word. You're their leader. It's just, you got to earn it. Just your title really means nothing. You got to check your title at the door. If I think about a story from my past, I worked with a woman and she came in and she was elevated to president of this company. And she had absolutely all the street cred in the world to come in and just assume that title. But she didn't do that. She did the opposite. She went on basically a listening tour and went and talked to all the different folks on her team and just listened and showed up and asked questions and tried to be of value to folks. And of course, eventually she took a little bit more of a, um, I wouldn't say authoritative role, but more commanding role, but um, really started with listening and you got to earn it. You got to be there for people. And getting back to these coaching conversations is, is talk, ask people like, what's important to you? What are you trying to achieve? And that just starts to develop that relationship and that rapport with the other person. And don't just assume that because you have that title, you're going to use command and control and say, Hey, look, you need to go do this because I'm your boss. Cause that's, that's how you actually really can sour relationships and just drive poor team dynamics. So I think it's really thinking about that mindset of earning it, using a lot of active listening, asking a lot of broad questions to spark greater awareness to new things, but you got to earn it. I love that. Check your title at the door catapulting commissions family. I, I'm I, I love that. I love it so much that, uh, you know, I, I've, I haven't heard it as bluntly as that, but I do know that for me personally, like I said earlier, I don't tell the people who who work for me that, Hey, I'm your boss or I'm your manager. Like, don't, don't introduce me to that. Just say, Hey, I'm your colleague. I'm your coworker. We're, we're all in the same field. We just have a different responsibility, right? There's a quarterback, there's a receiver, there's a center, there's a block, there's a tackle, they all have equally responsible, equally important jobs to have a cohesive unit. And so that that relationship of of I'm your leader, your boss, or you work for me, it's just a different variation of that relationship. Absolutely. I mean, think about I love sports is a great analogy for leadership. Think about a great quarterback. I imagine they're having conversations with their wide receivers about how they like to receive the ball, where they like to receive the ball. Same thing in basketball is, you know, I imagine also shortstop second base when having that cohesiveness it's really understanding that other person so and you know if you're the team leader whether it's in business or in sports or in life it's yeah checking the title at the door and really showing up and being there for your teammates yeah i agree with you i love the sports analogy myself and i, and I would love to just you know you, you look at it can i follow tom brady's training program or his his communication with his team for one day and just see it's so much of a position of service and, and, you know, and there's, there's a counterpart to it. He's going to demand the best performance, which, you know, if, if I'm a receiver and Tom, if I'm a rookie receiver and I get my one year with Tom Brady, I promise you, I'm not showing up to practice unprepared or not ready to go. Absolutely. So a, a couple things here, as we, as we come down here, we're, we're wrapping up Darren. we have a few minutes left earlier in the conversation, you talked about, um, 
being an authentic leader, right? And, and and you talked about one of the principles of being able to adapt best practices for authenticity. If I want to be a leader, I think one of those challenges, and, and we kind of piggybacked on it, right? You 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 earn that title, you earn that respect, but there is a struggle, a power struggle, I think that people have with, do I be myself as the authentic version of myself? Am I the company or corporate person? Am I the corporate rebel, right? Because there's, there's times in positions of leadership, maybe I don't agree with the direction the company's going in, or maybe I don't agree with the decision that the CEO made, but however, I've been entrusted to be in this position of leadership. How do we retain that authenticity? Like, what are some of the best practices for me to be the authentic version of myself in this position of leadership? So being authentic is, it gets back to your own personal values and professional values and your beliefs. Of course, it's got to be within the context of an organization, you know, not to be the necessary rebel in a real buttoned up organization, but but it is about being true to yourself, understanding what those values are. And because that's a great way to connect with people, whether it's your teammates, whether it's your customers, with your clients, you know, think about uh, different people's personal styles and how they sell. You know, some are really following like more of a challenger model. Some are really more relational in terms of developing, develop deep relationships before they go for the ask. But I think that's really important is to understand what your values are, what your beliefs are, what your strengths, because that goes a long way towards being authentic, which I also believe that, if you're more authentic, you're going to be more confident. So I've been struggling with whether it's either authentically confident or confidently authentic. I think they're actually both true, but I think so much confidence is gained through that greater level of authenticity. So being who you are versus who you think you should be, you know, for me for so long, I, I always thought I had to be the the smart Accenture Darren, the Haas Berkeley MBA Darren. And I was, that's not who my best self is, which is a little bit of a squishy term to think about, but being more authentic and true to myself. And the whole process, as you mentioned, a journey of writing a book, as you know, is more of my voice, more of my thoughts came out in that. And I started to use that in the podcast, but um, also in a lot of the work that I do with, with clients, which requires a greater level of vulnerability as well. And what I found is that and more successful as a result of that. I'm sharing a little bit more of my own personal stories because I, I find it can be helpful to people, not like it's a therapy session for myself, but to share a little bit more about yourself and some of the challenges you overcome, some of the, the highs and lows of your career and, and how that can really help other people. But um, I do think that um, through some of that greater authenticity to an extent, right, but is really helpful, but making sure you connect that both to your own personal values, beliefs, strengths, but also to the organization as well. Yeah, I, man, I, I like how you wrap that up with the, with the nice bow tie on it, being true to yourself, my professional and personal values first. And, and I look at it, you know, when I know for me in my, my world of leadership, if something compromises my personal or professional values, I won't partake in it. And I've, you know, I, I look at opportunities within my own business for, for making money or bringing on a different client. And if they don't align with some of those values sometimes, and it's, it's really hard to say yes to that. Um, so, you know, I look at that and I say, okay, in my position of leadership, I have to also implement that. And I, and I imagine by having that, the people you lead are naturally going to follow that lead as well. They're going to hold their personal levels of authenticity and it just makes for a better overall relationship. Yeah. It just creates consistency too. It shows that you, you not just write values up on your wall, whether it's for the organization or for the team, but you actually walk the walk. Because I think it's so easy to come up with the values for a team and really easy to violate those things. But the, the upside of having those strong values, whether it's at the individual team or organizational level, 
especially the individual level, is it it acts as a filter. What do I say yes and no to? For you were alluding to some amazing business opportunities where, you know, they weren't exactly aligned with what's really important to you and what matters most. And but they also act as a to help guide your decisions as well. So it's a fantastic tool. It requires time, it requires introspection, but it really can provide better outcomes through better decisions and uh, just being true more to yourself. You know, great insight on that. As you were saying that, I couldn't help but think, in my position of, of building these values, do you advise or do you recommend that new leader, because you're saying this and it just hit me like a light, that new leader that's taking that role, that is trying to earn that respect of that team, do you recommend they create like a new team mantra, a new team identity where everyone understands the, the values, not of the whole organization, but hey, I, I just got uplifted, just got promoted. Now I have 10 people who, who, quote unquote, I'm their boss. We're a new team. Do you recommend creating that team identity, that team value system in place? I think if it's authentic and it doesn't feel forced, you know, it's like you don't want to say, you know, you read some management textbook or you watched some TED talk or you, you, know, you worked with some coach or consultant and suddenly you came to the table with these things. It's got to feel like it's natural and coming from some people, it will feel natural. Some it'll feel forced. If it feels forced, I would definitely steer clear of that. Mm-hmm. You could also adopt them over time. It doesn't have to necessarily be from day one, but I think it is really helpful to say, hey, look, you know, I'm really excited to be taking over this, this team. I think we've accomplished so many great things in the past. There's some big challenges ahead, but also some opportunities. Some of the things that I think are really important are some values here and, you know, the following values and why those values are important and how they can help you achieve the outcomes. But the other thing that's really important is this concept of co-creation. So if you can co-create those values with your team, that's where you get the alignment and the buy-in. And what that goes with anything, whether it's values or a strategy or a new vision for the team or the organization, is co-creation is a really powerful tool to get that alignment and that buy-in. Otherwise, you're just like, you're forcing your own values and beliefs on top of somebody else versus saying, hey, we're going to co-create these together. Yes, as the leader, do you have the opportunity to steer the conversation? Of course. But um, getting that input, of course, you have the final say, really goes a long way towards that uh, that alignment piece and buy-in. I love get that buy-in, co-creation, catapulting commissions family. Do it authentically is what my takeaway is right now with Darren because I can't tell you how many times um, I've been on the other side where I haven't been a leader and you can tell your boss just listened to a new podcast or read a new article out of the Harvard Business Review and was like, hey, we're going to implement this right away. And if it doesn't come across authentic and natural, it's met with resistance. Either it's direct resistance or it's indirect resistance, meaning someone's going to say, yeah, they're going to pacify you. They're going to do the exercise, but there's going to be no motion from that activity. So I love I love how your perspective on doing it authentically uh, and only authentically, I guess, would be the correct way. Do it authentically. I love it. Nice catchphrase. <laughs> yep. All right. Darren, the savage leader, 13 principles to become a better leader from the inside out. How does the Catapulting Commission's family learn about the book? How does the Catapulting Commission's family learn about you? So pretty easy. So you can learn more about the book, thesavageleader.com. There's uh, some free tools on there. Also, of course, a link to buy it on Amazon. And I'd love to connect on LinkedIn. So just search for my name, Darren, last name, Ranky, R-E-I-N-K-E. We'd love to meet and connect. Thesavageleader.com, Darren Ranky on LinkedIn, Catapulting Commission's family. Do me a favor. Go check out the copy of The Savage Leader. You will find a link in the show notes. You will also find a link to Darren's LinkedIn profile in the show notes as well. Darren, thank you for joining the Catapulting Commission's podcast. Oh, also check out his podcast, the Savage Leader Podcast, where Darren is interviewing 
leaders from all walks of life, Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, successful executives, special forces, professional athletes, sports coaches, entertainers, and much more. You can find that at the savageleaderpodcast.com. I will tell you this. It's a podcast I'm excited to check out because I love speaking to leaders, but sometimes I get in my tunnel. And if you follow me, we're always in the business track of sales leaders and business leaders. And I found there's so much value in just leadership as a whole. So be sure to go check out the savageleaderpodcast.com. Darren, thank you for joining the Catapultic Commission show. Great to be on. Perfect. Catapult Commission's family, you know what to do. Like, subscribe, comment, and I will see you next week. Catapulting Commission's family, that does it for today's episode. If you found some value, please be sure to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. Don't forget to subscribe. That way you're notified of new episodes. If you want to see the video portion of this podcast, head over to YouTube and look up Catapulting Commission's podcast. Finally, if you want a free copy of Catapulting Commission's, be sure to text the word HELLO to 661-228-8967. Again, text the word HELLO to 661-228-8967. Thanks for listening to the show. I'll see you next week.